This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air. Welcome to Headscarves and Good Yarns with me, Amal Abdullahi. The show is all about talking about race, diversity, and everything in between, all in the hopes of empowering a more empathetic Aotearoa. We talk about all these huge life things through the lens of people's lives and stories. I hope every yarn you take a wee gem from it and expands your heart and mind just a wee bit more. Kia ora, welcome to another episode of Headscarves and Good Yarns. I don't know about you guys and what life has been like for you, but I feel like there's just been a lot going on in my personal bubble and then just also in the world as well. It's kind of hard to keep up with everything that's going on. I feel like every single time I check the news or I'm on social media, my brain is just like <laughs> like overstimulated by everything that's happening. Though it's not all bad, it's just... Yeah, lots of food for thought, I think. It's really easy, I think, to not engage with everything that's going on in the world right now because there's just so much. And, yeah, as I was saying before, like, sometimes I get overstimulated. Um, And I think when I do feel like that, I definitely take a step back and take a break from consuming content because – it honestly is just too much for my poor wee brain. Um, but I think I have to be give myself a bit of tough love when it comes to how much of a break I will give myself because at the same time I also feel the sense of responsibility to know and to engage with what's, what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing and observing Um because there's a lot that just kind of happens or there's a lot that, you know, people just say, you know, really funny things or opinions that are put onto social media that I think definitely need to be challenged. But it's so interesting how just because there is so much going on in this world that, you know, we take a step back, I feel like, sometimes and not engage. But, you know, there's also the sense of, you know, wanting to honour yourself but also honour what's going out there and, you know, actively engaging with it in a way where we shape what our um, world is looking like, what people are talking about, what people... Uh, saying about said topics Um, like for example today I have seen a lot of content about um, remembering what happened two years ago on March the 15th and it's been quite hard actually just engaging with all of that content and it's strange because I'm also balancing it with the feelings of I feel like I need to say something, um, but also balancing that feeling of I need to hear what people are saying. What are the takeaways from what are they saying? Because on a day like this, it is quite emotional and um, really traumatic and you know a lot has shifted 
but there's still, in some ways, we're still on the same same place, and it's yeah, it's just very very strange. And so, I yeah, I would love to hear what you guys think about all of this, but just finding that balance between honoring yourself and what you need for your mental and physical health, but also, you know, engaging with content in a way that's meaningful and where we get to actively craft what our world looks like. Um, Because I learn so much by reading what other people are posting and reading opinion pieces. And I think it does challenge me and it, it does give me lots of food for thought, but Sometimes it's just a bit too much. Um, yeah, definitely a little bit too much sometimes. Um, so, yeah, that, I think that's what my feelings, that's where my mindset is at with what's been going on in this world. But that also gives me a lot to talk about. And, yeah, let's just launch straight into it. So the first thing that I want to talk about is... Um, International Women's Day and when it happened about a week ago a week and a half ago I forgot I literally forgot and then um, my partner wrote me a really sweet note um, saying you know happy Women's Day and you know I'm, I'm proud of you and I love you and you've taught me these things and it was such a lovely note. And then, yeah, when I checked my social media for the first time that day, it was flooded with all of these wonderful messages, you know, people professing their love and awe and admiration for all of these powerful wahine um, in their life. And I thought that was really, really cool. Um, really, really cool. And I think um, days like that, it seems, I don't know, I feel like I always – Whenever days like that happen, there's always really, there's a small minority that makes silly comments about why is this day needed, rari, rari, ra. And I think if you're sitting with privilege, you're never going, and you you don't acknowledge it, you're going to look at things like International Women's Day and think, oh, that's so silly. Why do we need a day like that? Um, you know, things are a lot better than what they used to be. As if that should be, that should be it. That should be the bare minimum. Like, yes, things are better than what they used to be. So, cool. You guys should not be complaining about anything else. Don't know why you're complaining about anything else. Um, life is, yeah, life is um, way better than what it used to be, you know toughen up and stop blah 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 about it and comments like that always just make me just roll my eyes because being a woman in 2021 is still so dangerous and you know it was crazy how after international women's day um, there was the news that broke about um, that poor woman in the UK who was murdered on her way home. Um, I yeah, cannot remember her name, but I uh, just remember reading the article about it and then 
all of the conversations that kind of followed through from that, I thought it was just really sad and ironic how, you know, there was all this amazing discourse about how strong women are and how we should celebrate each other and uplift each other. And and then a week and a half later, you know, we were mourning the loss of one of our sisters and it was a really stark reminder of how actually, you know, being a woman is still not safe in 2021 and it's still quite dangerous. And obviously there's a lot of conversations that we need to be having with um, not only just between women, but we need to include all walks of society in this and, On that note, I would like to just point out that there is a lot of different ways that one can experience being a woman and someone's experience of being a woman is influenced by, you know, the other identities um, in life and they all inform each other. I've just been reading um, so many fantastic um, books recently about um, what it's like, you know, being being a woman and feminism. And one of the books that I'm reading at the moment is called Hood Feminism. And it's talking about how, you know, often the, the loudest voices in the feminism space um, are still coming from a privileged position. It's coming from Pakeha women who don't have the same struggles of um of a woman of color um and that's not accounted for but you know in the feminism space there's often this we all assume it's assumed that there is um one identity and this one identity means there's the same struggles but there's actually very different layers to the same struggle and for example, and this is like an oddly specifically medical example, but um, one of my friends was recently telling me about how, you know, she's been struggling with her doctors to um, be seen and treated um, properly. And, you know, she's been having some issues and the doctor has been completely dismissive and I'm not going to quote her Dr. Woodford because I can't quite remember what my friend said but you know basically the doctor was telling her that um she um you know it's very common for people with her skin color and she shouldn't be worried and you know this is normal for you trust me I know and yeah completely dismissed her and it wasn't until she was insistent and actually paid extra to have some um, certain blood tests taken that it turned out you know there actually was an underlying problem Um, but she had to fight so hard to be um, seen properly you know her doctor completely dismissed her and you know, said that, you know, this is normal for your, for your race or your kind or whatever. It was, yeah, the way he worded it, I remember just thinking, oh, that's a really strange and icky way of wording it. Like, 
he made her out to be like subhuman, you know, um, like different to what to to the normal to the majority, um, and the majority is not the normal. There's we're all normal, but there is that connotation, right? Um, and I think her experience was also compounded by her being a woman. Um, but I feel like if a Pakeha woman presented with the same issues, it would be a very different kind of conversation. And, you know, me being a black Muslim woman living in New Zealand, I can also testify that um, in my lived experience, there have been so many experiences where my friends have kind of gone through the same struggles or just even the way we navigate life it's so different um because I have I have uh another identity which is also marginalized and those two things kind of combined together actually make me um Uh, you know, set me back in terms of what what I can and can't do, perceived by society, not perceived by me. Um, but there are so many different ways to experience what it's like being a woman. And, I, you know, this is something that I'm not super knowledgeable on and I'm still challenging myself to understand more and learn more. Um, but we have our queer community who um, also experience womanhood in a different way. I mean, you can still be a woman and not experience um, periods. Um, You can experience what it's like being a woman, but have a different different biological gender. Sorry, I tried to combine different and biological together and that did not work. So, you know, there are just so many different ways to experience being a woman. And I think we need to recognize that, especially when we're talking about, you know, feminism discourse. We need to be more accommodating of the different experiences and what, you know, with those experiences, um, the different privileges um, that it carries and um, it was just, yeah, really sad that all of that kind of happened in such a short time, you know, there was a, so much celebration and then you know, our sister was taken away from us and it reminded us there's actually so much work that we need to do and even though it seems like we've come so far, um the fact that a woman can't walk home safely is in 2021 is a call that um, that we need to make a lot of change. Yeah, we need to really change our the conversations that we're having about women, the way that we think about women. Um, And this means including 
boys and men into this conversation and someone I was having a conversation with someone the other day about you know how do we um include our boys and men into this conversation empowering them and making sure they feel safe and heard but still acknowledging that you know boys and boys who grow into men um and men who have the privilege of never having to experience um the threat of violence the same way women do um and how do we have our boys and men invested in this conversation about bettering women um and you know there have been lots of conversations or i think a building awareness around how you know feminism is not just for women it's for men as well because the patriarchy also harms our men um it harms our men um but i think just specifically talking about um the sister in the UK who lost her life um things like consent um consent and and rape culture i think there's still a long way to go around you know the conversations that we're having um in that space um and i'd love to have someone who's more of an expert in the space or someone who this is their day-to-day job kind of thing having this conversation with me right now but i think you know we have challenged the awareness to the point where it's like okay i think people as a society we're beginning to you know we've realized that the patriarchy harms our men and boys as much as it does our women and i say the majority of society not i'm not speaking for every person in this world um but when it gets to more of the hairier conversations around consent and all these sorts of things there's still a really long way to go i think um we i think we still need to identify a way um to invite guys onto this conversation and this is me just rambling now but um hopefully um thought provoking rambles but yeah when i was just just kind of sitting back and thinking about what's been happening for the past couple of weeks it there was definitely the the thoughts that came through and um I know it's scary and it's tough and it's difficult having these sorts of conversations but they need to be they need to be said otherwise nothing will change otherwise you know we're always going to be telling our mothers and daughters and sisters and you know all the other ways that you can experience being a woman you know make sure you text me when you get home make sure you try your best to not walk home by yourself when really we we shouldn't be putting the onus on women we should be putting the onus on us as a society to make sure that women are safe and protected to begin with um 
And so, you know, thank goodness for days like International Women's Day where we can take um, care of each other more, um, where we can take care of each other more and, yeah, look after each other and create a space to celebrate each other and create a space to keep on challenging the status quo because we still need it, you know, we still very much need it. Um, and it's, yeah, really sad and strange to say that in the year of 2021, but we still need it. Um, the next thing that I would love to kind of dive deep into is, um, Megan Markle again. And it was so interesting that I was talking about her in the last episode, not really knowing that she was going to do an interview with Oprah. Um, and here she is, she's done this interview with Oprah um and i think that has started a lot of conversations not just about race but about um mental health and cancel culture and you know all these sorts of things um this interview has triggered a lot in in so many spaces and um before i kind of dive deep into into really talking about the aftermath of the interview with Oprah, um, I just like to t- take the time out to kind of applaud Megan and Harry for, you know, speaking their own truth. It must have been very difficult for them, especially speaking out against an institution that has been around for so many years and institution that holds a lot of power and um it just must have been very scary and yeah I applaud yeah the both of them for speaking their truth and using their experience um as a way to create change and to start a lot of conversations. Um, I think a lot of people, it's so interesting how they are like super fans of the Royals. Um, and I I actually, I don't know technically if they have like how much power they have, but the fact that New Zealand is still, um, aligned with the Royal family is just so interesting. Um, and because of, you know, those two associations, I think people are very hesitant, um, to challenge the Royal family and what they stand for. And I think a lot of people easily rush to the defense of the Royal family. And that's something that I have definitely seen, um, since this interview has come out. And the first, you know, the the person who has very publicly defended the royal family and um, has said some not-so-great words about Megan, about the comments she made about the royal family in the interview, has been um, Piers Morgan. And just as a human, not even before this incident and him deciding to leave um, Good Morning Britain, I think it's, yeah, Good Morning Britain. Um, Piers has just always been 
a very controversial figure and has always said things that's just made me scratch my head and wonder why he's been given such a big platform. Because take away his status, take away his um, his long career, if a random was just saying stuff like that, I think people would not be here for it. Um, like, I don't know, I'm currently working in um, retail and some of the things that customers say to me um, really reminds me of Piers Morgan and it always gives me the ick feeling, like just so privileged and so racist and all the ist things you know I feel like he said stuff like that but he still isn't um cancelled and I'm just kind of waiting for people to not listen to him anymore because he really um really says some very questionable dubious things um but anyway so he has um minimalized what Megan has said by um you know slandering her for saying what she said about the royal family and he made it out as if the royal family was um you know the poor royal family they didn't even get a chance to defend themselves and here is Megan saying all of these horrible things about the royal family um rah rah ra and one of the his co-hosts actually stood up to him and challenged him on his view and he just stormed off set and then later on that day um put up a message you know saying that he is leaving the show resigning from the show and the possibility of him ever coming back is very very low um i mean he got really um defensive and angry about the racist term um being associated with the royal family and he issued a very um interesting statement afterwards and i just like to quote some bits of it um because you know he's a very public facing figure but his attitude is something that i see in my real life and something that i see um you know when you're scrolling the comment section on stuff or just on social media it's an attitude that I see um quite often and the first thing that he said is he didn't believe a word and there's always the sense of disbelief when someone um you know there's always an element of disbelief when someone from a marginalized community speaks up of their speaks yeah, of their experience and I think behind the disbelief there is this I don't know I feel like it comes from several places but there's always this sense of disbelief um, when marginalized voices speak up about their experiences and it's so interesting to me because there's just no way we're ever going to progress if we're not ready to sit with how uncomfortable things are 
currently are so we can change and we can move on and see what other kind of conversations we can be having instead um but it's just so yeah interesting that there's this sense of disbelief and he yeah commented on how he didn't believe um the claims of racism um and also didn't really believe when um Megan confessed that she you know did have suicidal thoughts and specifically with the um racist his disbelief over the um racist comments he tried so hard to justify he was like well this came from you know if you go back to the interview it didn't actually come from harry uh, it didn't actually come from megan it was harry who told megan and um tried to really minimalize um what Megan was saying. So, um, me in the interview, Megan was saying she found it, um, she was shocked when someone in the Royal family, and I can't remember if she named someone, but I feel like she didn't, but you know, the internet is smart. People are crazy. And I think they were able to guesstimate or whittle it down to a couple of options of who could have said this. But anyway, someone in the Royal family was saying, you know, when she was pregnant with Archie, um, aren't you, uh, worried that, you know, your son, or I don't know if they knew it was going to be a boy at that point, but aren't you worried that your, you know, your child might be dark or something like that. And, Piers was trying really hard to justify how that is not problematic. He was saying stuff like, well, it was actually, um, it was Harry who told Megan. So Megan didn't hear that comment directly. And, you know, how is it racist? Is it actually racist if someone came up to you and asked you about how your potential child is going to look? It's an innocent question, you know, when you, um, it's just an innocent question when you have someone of mixed race um, having a child with their partner who is not of the same racial background. Like, he made it out as if it really wasn't problematic. And I think he failed to recognize that actually, well, y- yes, the way the intent and the tone and language that people use make a huge difference. And it's something that I've spoken about heaps of times on the show before where, um, I can, you know, questions like, where are you from? Sometimes I find really frustrating and I struggle with, um, and sometimes I don't mind it at all when people ask me where I'm coming from. And the difference between those two situations is that, um, the person who's asking the question, there is a particular way that people ask. There is a particular tone and a particular kind of language that they use. Um, and so, yes, that is a very real thing. But the way Piers was using it, he was manipulating it and saying, you know, you don't know. It, it was an innocent question. It was an innocent question. Um, and I think he failed to recognize that the, que- the key word in this phrase is, aren't you worried? Worried is the key question. You know, if it was, are you curious? Heck yeah, at that point, Megan and Harry would have probably been very curious, you know, what is our child going to look like? Is it going to, is 
are, you know, are they going to look more like mum or, or are they going to look more like um, dad? And, you know, I'm in a interracial relationship and I think my partner and I, you know, when we get to chatting about um, children, yeah, there's we always have this sense of curiosity um, for, you know, what our children are going to look like. Um, I guess we'll find out in due time. But when you ask it in a way where it's, are you worried, you know, that they're going to turn out dark? Um, worry implies that there's something to be nervous about, something to be scared about, or there's an option that's really not ideal. And when someone says, are you, are you worried that they're going to be dark? Then, you know, that's basically implying that, you know, being dark is not great and something that you want to avoid. And Piers was adamant that that was a very innocent thing to ask and the sense of disbelief. And, you know, what talking about this kind of stuff is uncomfortable. And I think I'm not attached really to the royal family at all. Um, didn't grow up in the UK and somehow I have this feeling that even if I did grow up in the UK I probably would not have any kind of attachment to the royal family anyway um but I know that there are hardcore super fans out there of the royal family and so this interview must have been very challenging um but you know that his need to justify and his need to acknowledge that statement for what it is um, shows me that or tells me that there is a sense of disbelief and um, there's there's always the sense of disbelief um, when marginalized voices speak up and I think that is why um, there is a lot of distrust and a lot of fear um when people um you know yeah when people talk about their experiences or when people from marginalized communities um speak up about their trauma um there's always this fear that um yeah, there's always this fear that it won't be heard, it won't be believed, because if you are from the majority and there's no willingness or empathy to to go there, then it won't it can show up in ways other than um it can show up in ways other than disbelief, but the people will always try to justify not wanting to engage um and people can um people can because they're sitting in their privilege and their privilege protects them from ever having any kind of lived experience um and it won't affect their life either way but for someone from a marginalized community, when you speak up and you're not heard, you know, it just keeps on growing this um, to, to distrust. And what does that turn into? That turns into suffering and silence. Um, 
and suffering in silence, which is something that, you know, Muslims have done for a very long time. And the fact that I'm saying this on March the 15th, two years on, but there have been so many years of um, hate crimes against the Muslim community and it's <clears throat> almost always fallen on deaf ears and it's built this distrust where I think a lot of people just don't say anything anymore. Um, and that's scary because then it's a breeding ground for those very harmful opinions and thoughts to grow and grow because they're not being actively challenged. And, and this is why it's really important for those with privilege and those from the majority to listen, to listen when someone from, oh, from the majority, sorry, to listen when someone from a marginalized community speaks up because those with the privilege have the power to challenge what the status quo is. Um, I think that's the power in having allies. You know, you guys will, those, no, sorry, I didn't mean to say you guys because there are, and yeah, usually I'm those from the marginalized community, but there are certain situations where, you know, I will have different privileges. So I will, sorry, I didn't, just calling myself out, unlearning and learning, um, you know, those with privilege, there's always going to be that automatic trust and automatic, oh, I'm listening to you. Um, when you speak up, like your voice automatically matters. And that sounds really sad saying it out loud, but it's the truth. Um, if you have privilege, your voice automatically matters and it will be taken um, for what it is. Um, but, you know, when someone from a marginalized community speaks up, there's always that sense of disbelief because, you know, people don't want to engage, people don't want to listen, people don't believe because they don't see it, they don't experience it. And it wasn't just Piers Morgan um, who um, presented with this disbelief. I saw a lot of that discourse on all sorts of platforms. And um, good old Donald Trump also even though he hasn't said something publicly about this interview, um, but, you know, it has been, it's now known that he said that Megan is, um, Megan's no good, <laughs> no good. And he's, the reason why he was scared to say something publicly is um, Donald Trump was scared of being cancelled. <laughs> scared of being cancelled just like what happened to Piers Morgan um, and I also really hate that attitude because it's making it sound like Megan's being pity and she's um, out for the royal family but she's literally just sharing her experience but if you speak up against um, if you speak up you know you are then given that association of evil, that association of attention seeking and all these other horrible things, you know, your attention for speaking up is 
um, dirtied and no one actually hears what's going on, which I think is insane. And following Pierre's exit from the show, what I thought was really, really interesting was Sharon Osborne defended him. So I'm actually not too sure what their relationship is like, if they have one. Um, oh, sorry, yes, they do have one. They're friends, but I'm not too sure how they're friends. Sorry, that, that's what I was meant to say. Um, but she defended um, Piers. So she was saying that, you know, I don't agree with what he's saying, but um, he has um, the right to express how he feels. And um, and she said this on the show, um, The Talk, which I actually, I don't watch a huge amount, but I always notice that they have really heated um, conversations. And, um, you know, one of the other co-hosts said, you know, you know, why you are standing um, by your friend, it appears that you are giving validation or a safe haven to something that he has uttered um, that is racist. Um, and went on to say, and then the same co-host went on to say, he doesn't want to understand how Megan was, tra- was treated, um, was racism. And... Um, you know, Piers is quoted to say, I don't see it as being racist. I don't believe what she's going through. Um, it's that white entitlement, that privilege that makes it racist upon itself. So if you're saying I stand with you, how do you address people who say then you are standing with racism? I'm not saying that you are. And another co-host said it would have been an excellent opportunity for Osborne to stand up for anti-racism. And went on to say, you know, when we give passes or give space to people who are saying damaging, harmful things, what we're kind of doing is permitting it. And I think um, that's what people are reacting to. And then Osborne responded to that by saying, so if I like Piers and he's seen as a racist, am I racist? Is that what you're saying? Um And, you know, later on, she went on social media to um, issue her apology. And, um, you know, she was saying that she felt panicked and got really defensive. um, And then went on to say, um, there are very few things that hurt my heart more than racism. So to feel associated with that spun me fast. I'm not perfect. I'm still learning like the rest of us and will continue to learn, listen and do better. Um... And and I think, you know, it just sounds like, oh, this drama has happened, but I'm not really here for the drama. What I'm here for is to talk about um, the underlying conversation behind that, uh, under that, sorry, around... Um, the tolerable or the tolerance level, you know, what we will um, and won't accept. And I agree with the co-host who said, you know, if you're defending someone like Piers when he says stuff like that, you are 
not being actively racist yourself, but you're not being actively anti-racist, right? And it's this in-the-middle area that I think gives space for racist discourse to just run amok and run wild. And when people with privilege and power are saying those sorts of things, um, it has even more weight. And when that's not being challenged, it definitely gives this green light that it's okay when it isn't. And so I hope if we take anything away from this interview is that it's really important to notice what voices we amplify and what voices we as a society choose to ignore. And we need to recognize that we are past the point of silencing, right? Um, it's n- I don't think many people would actively try to silence marginalized voices, but we still ignore them and those are two different things but they have the very they achieve the same thing by um disempowering and ensuring that our marginalized voices stay marginalized which is not cool um which is really not cool and because we're not actively challenging the majority that has even more power and that's just running wild and then that still is the main voice that we hear um, when we talk about difficult things like race and you know even the conversation about um, mental health that's been sparked um, by Megan's comments there's there have been some really dangerous attitudes of disbelief and dismissal and it's that same ignorance and ignoring um which is scary because people do it so passively um but in this climate it's the effects of it it's as if it is active and i think we need to challenge ourselves on again what voices are we hearing what voices are we not what are the loudest what voices are we validating um, do we see them? Do we hear them? And do we want to follow that up with action? Um, and I think when we're talking about what voices are we hearing, are we not hearing, another concept that I think people really struggle with is free speech, right? You know, what happened to free speech if people can just say what they want? And I really disagree um with the concept of free speech if it comes at the cost of you know if you're saying something that's harmful or damaging then you should have the right to just express whatever you want um and i i don't think it's cool Yeah, I really don't think it's cool that there are so many voices that are given the platform and all they do is spread this 
this hate and this ignorance and there are there's a sea of voices out there that are ignored and and just literally drowning um and because they're being those voices are being ignored it comes at the cost of sorry what I'm sorry let's just say that one more time and I hate that because those voices that are given that already have a platform um and are given a platform because it's under the guise of free speech but that is actively the reason why marginalized voices are not heard that's harmful and that's dangerous and um I don't think that is fair there's no freedom in that um when it's damaging and hurting so many of our communities so i think we need to redefine what f- free speech is as a community um cuz If we keep up like this, I don't think we're going to be able to progress as a society. We're really not. And um another thing that has come up since the interview as well is um the French magazine Charlie Hebdo. Um they published a cartoon in response to the interview and it's is the queen looking very malicious and she is um standing over Megan and Megan's neck is under her foot so um you know it looks like the queen is crushing Megan's neck and Megan is crying out um I can't breathe anymore and um the cartoon is or the caption of the cartoon is why Megan left Buckingham and I think that that cartoon is very damaging and traumatic and I think we have become as a society we have become um so desensitized to violence against black people that a cartoon like this is even in existence i think it's horrible that violence against black people has become so normalized that um black people and black people's pain have become dehumanized that it can be used as a cartoon when there really cannot be parallels drawn between George Floyd's passing and you know Megan leaving the palace and i am just shocked that a cartoon like that was published um because it's not funny it doesn't really it's not helpful in the sense that it's not challenging what um racism what the racism conversation looks like it actually invalidates the pain and the struggles um of George Floyd's death of the black lives matter movement um you know of the whole 
racism conversation and it's a really poor use of their platform I think um and I suppose it's not very surprising because they have been um they've just a very racist magazine and they have published so much um problematic stuff for such a long time um And it's just so hurtful. And I think it's a very poor use of satire and they can't keep on using the excuse of satire to publish content like this. Um, So shame on you, Charlie Hebdo. And I hope this is another thing that we as a society refuse to allow there's only so much satire and free speech um can't allow us i think and um oh my goodness i'm looking at the time i've just realized i've spoken for such a long time about this but there's just a lot of stuff that's come out of this interview um and to wrap up this episode i would just like to acknowledge that yes today is um March the 15th and I don't know for me it's it's a very strange day and really difficult and I don't think I'm quite ready to um, share my my thoughts and, and feelings just yet there is so many rays of sunshine and so many pockets of light um but there are also pockets of of hate and there's still work that we need to do and um yeah i'd love to revisit this again on the podcast perhaps on another day where the emotions just don't feel so raw and things don't feel so heavy but um you know, to the 51 lives that we lost and to our brothers and sisters that aren't here with us today. I know we will never forget you and, um, you know, may Allah always bless you and, and your family, Amin. And I think it's a responsibility to us as a country to, you know, to make sure that we really bring about the the change that needs to happen so something like this never ever happens again um thank you so much for tuning in and i will catch you for the next episode thank you for tuning in into another episode of headscarfs and good yarns to keep spinning the yarns let us know your thoughts you can find us on facebook and instagram at headscarfs and good yarns or email us at headscarfs and good yarn at gmail.com This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.